We'll be streaming live. Good morning, or good evening, or good afternoon, uh, whichever time you're watching this. Uh, Matt here, Matt with Pastor Rick Bonfim's office. Haven't seen you in a while, so I'm happy to see you. Um, I hope that you guys are doing well. Um, I want to go ahead, and, and, and before we start doing this Bible study, I want to go ahead and pray. That is my, um, I don't know if, you know how Paul says, I, I, I want to do something. It's like accustomed in New King James language. That's kind of like something I really like to do before I do anything with the Word. So let's, let's pray together. Um, King Jesus, thank you for this Word. Lord, I thank you that um, you are still speaking. You still have things to say to your church. Um, you never stopped with us. Lord, I pray that you would use me as a vessel, that nothing out of my mind or anything that I think or, or perceive would come out of this, but that everything that is true that comes from your mouth would come forward. Lord, I give you all the glory, and I thank you um, that your presence is always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. So, <clears throat> John, Rick, Betty, um, basically everybody... Um, in the office has been going through um, the book of Acts and they've been talking about the power of the Holy Spirit um, and what happened in the beginning of the church um, and kind of just how that whole thing uh, went down and just kind of, you know, I guess y'all are in chapter 3 right now, right John? I think y'all are uh, moving through chapter 3. Um, okay, moving to chapter 4. So um, they're kind of going through that and I, um, today, uh, after I ran it by John, um, thought that I should go um, to kind of a more basic principle. Uh, this is not a super deep uh, theological new thing, but it, it's really important, and I want to kind of um, make a very bold statement, and then I want to kind of prove it. Is that, does that sound okay? Yeah, I hope so. Um, I want to make a very bold statement, and then I want to kind of prove it um, through the Scripture. So the statement that I'm going to make is, I, I don't know if it's threefold, but it kind of has a progression here. Um, I said this to John the other day. Um, the statement is this. When Jesus, our Lord, entered into the world, he entered into the world as a human, human being, God in, in man. He entered into the world and he overcame the world. That's John 16.33. He overcame the sin of the world. He overcame um, the depravity of the world and conquered it. And then, becoming as he became, as he rode into Jerusalem and became the rightful king of all of creation... He became all of creation, uh, the king of all of creation and then took all of the sin of creation um, and died on the cross. And so when he died on the cross, Jesus took all of the old creation with him into the grave. And then on the third day, when Jesus rose again, he came back, but not as the old creation, but he came back as a new creation, the firstborn among many brethren. That's Romans 8. 29. So, that's my statement. That is the way that I understand it, and I want to kind of go ahead and prove that to us today as we kind of go through this. So, I'm going to read you a passage here from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is starting in verse 14, and I'll finish here with verse 21. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge if that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth, from this point forward, live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. So we know nobody after this physical body. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, 
we know him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, or we ask you, in Christ's stead, or in his name, be ye reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Amen. So, going off of what I just said, and kind of, you know, reading all this passage, that can be a bit confusing. I understand that there can be some confusion in there, um, and there's kind of like, it's kind of an abstract topic, because we're talking about old creation, new creation, what am I talking about? So, to kind of really more pick it apart and make it a little bit more, um, when I say applicable, uh, maybe a little bit more down to earth, a little more grounded, uh, we have to kind of go back to the beginning here. Um, and if we go back to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, everybody knows what happened in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. But I think sometimes when we look at that story, we can not understand how it is the Bible itself and the beginning of creation is actually one story told throughout thousands of years. And so if we go back to Genesis 2, this, this is, it's applicable to what we talk about when we talk about Jesus. Okay? So if we go back all the way to Genesis chapter 2, as you guys know, we have the creation of man, mankind, Adam and Eve. Those are the first two people ever created on the earth. God made them on the sixth day and he made them in his image, right? And so we have this picture of the Garden of Eden. And in the garden, you have God and man fellowshipping one with another. And so in God's good world, in his righteous kingdom, so to speak, in his holy place. Um, in the beginning, there was God and people, and they, and they ruled this thing together. That was God's intention from the beginning, is that God would have human beings to rule alongside him um, as partners. Okay, So, everything starts off great. Um, Adam gets a helper, because God, God doesn't need, but God wants a helper, so he's like, well, I created Adam like me, so I also want a helper, so he creates the woman, and Adam and Eve are rocking their socks down there in the Garden of Eden, and they are naming animals, uh, and they're eating fruit, uh, and they're walking around unashamed of each other, and everything is good, and everything's peaceful. And God has a good world, amen? And so, God is good. So, we learn that. So, everything's cool, right? Everything's great. And then we have Genesis chapter 3. Oh, our father Adam, what a genius he was. Um, the Bible says, actually, that Adam was not tricked um, like Eve was, but actually... Um, in Hebrew, uh, not Hebrews, in Romans, it says that Adam actually made a conscious choice. So I blame Adam more than I blame Eve, actually. Um, so anyways, what happens? So we all know the story, right? The devil, the little snaky thing, comes up to Eve as she is um, walking around in the garden, and, and he's like, hey, you see that fruit over there? That's pretty good looking, right? And then she's like, well, no, God said not to eat that. We're not supposed to, because if we do, we'll surely die. And then the devil tricks Eve, but actually really more plays on a deeper thing in Adam and, and basically what his argument is, is if you eat that, you can get rid of God and you can take over his good world. And so what the devil really wants, or, or the devil plays on this little thing in Adam and Eve, is like, are you, Adam and Eve, going to 
rule humanity under the authority of God, under the rulership and the kingship of God, or are you going to try and usurp that, come underneath that, take that from God, and rule it yourself? So, Adam and Eve take the fruit. And as they take the fruit, and as we read throughout the rest of the Bible, the ramifications of their decision are many. Things enter God's good world that were never supposed to enter into God's good world. Things like death, sin, uh, mortality. Um, we think about the way that people are treated, oppression, uh, lying, stealing, thieving, you know, that kind of thing. All these things begin to permeate through God's good world because God is the source of goodness. And when you try to cut God out of his creation, you have a corruption of said creation. And so, as we read throughout the Old Testament, um, we read about all of this corruption entering into um, the world. And so, there's like, Israel is like called out by God, and it's like, okay, we're trying to take, uh, you know, a group of people. God tries to take a group of people, and he's like, I want to try and still, you know, rule this world and make it good, so I'm going to use you guys and make you holy, set you apart. And that's what happens at Exodus, the Mount Sinai, right? And they get the law, and it's like, if you guys can do this, you'll bring goodness back into the world through you guys, and that's how I want to do it. And then we read the rest of the Old Testament, and they utterly fail at that task, right? And so, but there's always this little thing, right? Cause like, if we look at the exile of Babylon, we look at the, all of these prophets and, and all of the, the writers of the Old Testament, and we look at that, but there's always this one thing where God's like, I'm going to show up at some point along the way, and I'm going to fix this problem. I am going to restore my goodness to the world, right? So in Matthew chapter 1, hallelujah, comes along, and Jesus of Nazareth is born, right? And Jesus is born without the curse of Adam, without that predisposition that Adam took upon himself and passed along to his sons to sin, and Jesus is born into the world. And one of Jesus's, and I think one of the most important things that Jesus had to say, and one of the things he used to say a lot, was the kingdom of God has come to you. And that's what John announced, and what Jesus announced everywhere he went. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he was announcing that the kingdom of God had come. Amen? Amen. So, <clears throat> that's where we're at, right? Like, I think, what's interesting about what I just said and everything I just kind of said is where a lot of Christians are at now, right? We're at a place and at a crossroads of, okay, so I know the Old Testament, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that things have gone poorly, and I know that things need to change, and Jesus is here. But, what now? Right? Because, what, basically what I just told you is that goodness has come, but one of the things that still has not in, in a lot of, I think, our personal lives and then also in, in the world today is there's still a lot of bad stuff going on, right? There's still a lot of things that are happening that really don't line up with, with the kingdom of God. We're still not back at that Eden state. We're still not back at this place where God and, and, and humans are, are commingling in a one-to-one -one type of thing. And so it's like, okay, so what did Jesus actually do while he was here? It's a really important question, right? So, <clears throat> as we read the story of Jesus, and we all know the story, at least for those of us that are Christians, we all know the story. We see Jesus throughout his life, coming and everywhere that he was, he made things better, right? He restored things that were broken. He healed people. He restored sadness. He 
forgave sins, and he did a bunch of that, right? And so he was bringing the kingdom of heaven everywhere he went. But the thing was is that the people that he was with still were not... The kingdom of heaven, although they were in the presence of the kingdom of heaven, they themselves were still not in the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, although they were in the presence of the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of heaven, as we see, like, when Jesus went around and he was, like, healing the people that were sick and he was, like, um, you know, dealing with tax collectors and sinners and stuff like that, we see that although they were in the presence of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus was a one of one at that current time, at that, in, in that time. And so, you know, there was still a problem that needed to be dealt with. And so you have this light in the world. That's what John says in John chapter 1. You have this light that is in the world. Okay? And it's Jesus. But He's the only light in the world. And so, if there's any hope for humanity, if there's any hope for us, we have to become like the light so that when the light comes, we can join up with the light and become a part of it. Right? Because that's why we're here. So... I want to turn really quick, really, 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 really quick. I want to turn to kind of the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, this is Matthew chapter 27. And um, <clears throat> I want to talk about what he did. This is simple, it's basic, I know, but it's, it's important. I want to talk about what Jesus did. So, we turn to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is um, chapter uh, 27, verse 45. It says here, Now from the sixth hour, this was 12 o'clock in the Jewish time, um, there was darkness all over the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, yama shabachthani, which means, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of them who stood there when they heard that said, this man calls for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a vinegar and filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let it be, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was ripped in two, from top to the bottom, and the earth did shake, and the rocks ripped. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared to many. So, <clears throat> we got a problem, right? We got a, we got a big problem. The light just died. The light just died. All of the hope that the disciples had, the followers of Jesus had, all the hope the people who were saying Hosanna to the Son of David had that God would fulfill His promise to the old prophets in the kingdom of God would come someday and make everything better. The promise He made to David, He just died. He just, he just died. The king of the world just died. And so, here we are at a very pivotal moment in the life of a believer and in the life of the apostles, in the history of the church. A very pivotal moment. Why did Jesus allow himself to die? And so as I said in the beginning, what I believe, and what I think that the apostles believed, and I think that any Christian who has really studied this thing has come to the conclusion, is that although Jesus died, Jesus' death was not a defeat or a yielding up to the darkness. Okay, So, I mean, what does that mean, really? Because it, it's, it's, it's such a churchy type of thing to say. 
You know, it's such a it's such a religious rhetoric, right? But what does that mean exactly? It, it, it's it's a theological statement, but what does it mean that Jesus died? Well, you see, Jesus is a king, a conqueror. That's what kings do. They take over things. And so one of the, the interesting things about Jesus and the thing that we have to kind of kind of wrap our heads around when it comes to the kingship of Jesus is that Jesus is like a king that has never been before. Okay, And so when we think about kings, we think about mighty warriors, bloodthirsty, ravaging animals who take over things like the kingdom of Genghis Khan, for example. When Genghis Khan wanted to take over um, land, he marched in with his troops and he murdered. And he killed the things that were there so his kingdom could come and take it. So that's what kings do. That's like what they've been doing. And so when we see Jesus die on the cross, like it's like a total, like complete, like whoa, what? Like what do you mean the king died? That doesn't make any sense because even his disciples thought that because the king is here, it's time for us to ride into battle. I mean, you look at when Jesus is about to get arrested, Peter whips out a sword and cuts off homeboy's ear because it wasn't computing who Jesus actually was, like what he was actually doing for them. You see, I believe from what I read in the Bible, that when Jesus died on that cross, he did do something similar to what Genghis Khan did, but not the way that we think. You see, Jesus loves his people. He does. He loves the kingdom of heaven, and he loves his people. And so in order for those two things to merge together, something has to happen to me, Matthew Valley. Something has to happen to me, because as I am, for me to try and enter into the kingdom of heaven... I can't do it. God is holy, righteous, and good. And before Christ, I was not. Before the blood of Jesus, I was not. Okay? And so I had to be deal, dealt with in a certain way. If the kingdom of heaven was going to come and I was going to be able to be a part of it, one of the two things had to happen. Either I had to die and be taken away so the kingdom of heaven could come, and God could restore his good world, okay, because he had to get rid of the thing that made it distorted in the first place, which, by the way, is me, okay, is me, or either I have to be disposed of or something has to get taken out of me. Something has to get cut out of me, and I have to become something different. And that's what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay. See, what Jesus did, the claim that I made in the beginning, what Jesus did, and he became the representation on the cross. Not just the representation. He came, became the embodiment of all of the corruption. Every single bit of what we as humans have done to this world to distort it from the goodness of God. He became, he literally, it says in Peter, Peter said, that he literally took our sins in his physical body. Our sin, everything. He, 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 he wore it. I mean, it, it became him. He became it. Second Corinthians 5.21 He became sin. He became it. Literally. And so this king didn't conquer by destroying his enemies. He conquered by becoming his enemies. That's who Jesus is. And this good news didn't just end with a Messiah getting crushed on the cross by a holy God. It did not end there. 
It did not end there. You see, because Matthew 27 is not the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It's not. You see, in Matthew chapter 28, it says that on the end of the Sabbath day, it began towards the dawn of the first day. That would be Sunday. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb to see their fallen king. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came back and rolled the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, the keepers and the guards did shake and became as dead men. And the angels answered and said unto the women, Do not fear, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. And as he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And so that Jesus, <laughs> that Jesus became all of creation on the cross. And then, on Sunday, he got up and became the new creation. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, as Christians now, we are invited by Christ to become a part of His new creation. Just as Adam, in chapter 2 of Genesis, became a living soul, this is second, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so does Jesus now, the second Adam, the second man, the second creation, the second thing. Behold, God says, I do a new thing. Isaiah 43:19. This is what he was talking about. He was making a new thing in the earth. And so, how does this apply, right? What do we do with that? Like Jesus is saying, hey, come join me. But what do we do? How do we, how do, how do, we do that? What does that even mean? Well, you've got to follow him. And what does it mean to follow him? Well, what did he do? He lived, died, and rose again. And so, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, we have to follow our Lord's example. We don't have to physically die. Jesus did that already. But there's got to be a moment in your life where the things of this world, the, the, the passing away world, because you see, we're all citizens of this thing before Jesus. We're born in it. We live here. We, we, like literally, we put a stamp on our hands metaphorically and say, I belong here. And there has to be a moment if we're going to follow Jesus that we have to decide that we're going to say, well, I don't want to be a citizen here anymore. I want to join the new thing. And if we want to be a part of the kingdom of God that's coming, we have to decide that we're going to step into that now. Because... Look, here's the deal. When Jesus comes back, He's not going to take people of the old creation and, and, and it's not going to be like what I'm saying now is going to happen then. Like It's not like old creation people are suddenly just, oh, now I'm new. It's the people that have already joined the new creation, have already joined the new leadership, have already fallen under the authority of the new king, that He's going to say, hey, you belong here. Because you've already made your citizenship here. Right? That's why Paul wrote all these epistles. Look, turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's really hammer it home for you. I hope. I hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul wrote a bunch of letters about this. Okay, John did too. It's in 1 John. You can read about, I'll read about that too in a, in a moment here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is addressing the Corinthian church and he's addressing them because although they claimed to be part of the new creation, they were still living like the old one. And really, they hadn't 
really made their citizenship anything new. So, so let's, let's read this. This is verse, I'm going to start with verse 5 and read to verse 8. And um, here's what it says. To deliver such a one, okay? This is somebody, uh, somebody in the church who was actually fornicating with their stepmother. What a Jesus guy, right? Um, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorifying is not good, Corinthians. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Little yeast makes all the bread full of yeast. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old yeast of the old life, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus said it more simply, be born again. Paul is using Old Testament imagery here to give an idea to these Corinthians and to say something very simple. What he's saying is, if you want to be with Jesus, you have to get rid of the old thing. And the only way that can happen is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that has already happened through Him. And so, when we come to Jesus as Christians, this is a place I think that many of us are at right now. And when we come to Jesus as Christians, hear me on this. When we come to Jesus on, as Christians, we have to be willing in that moment to forget about the old thing. But this is like where the church has come to a place where we don't teach people that anymore. We don't teach people that anymore. And so what you have in the church is people who are condoning the things of the old world, saying that they want to be with Christ when He comes, not understanding that when Christ comes, He is getting rid of all that garbage out of His world. And so if we're still a part of that when He comes, if we're still living in the old thing with old yeast, we have to go too. But this is the time of grace. That you have that opportunity. To say, Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing here. I really don't know how to do this thing. I don't know how to go after you. Help me. He'll do it. The circumcision of the heart, Paul says. He'll do it. He's faithful and true. He died for you so this could become possible through the power of His Spirit coming to make life in you and create a new thing. Look, I'm not saying that you know, we're always perfect as believers. We never make a mistake. But what Jesus died for is more than for you to have an idea or a set of beliefs about Him. He died to create a revolutionary family that doesn't fit in this world anymore. Here's the deal, folks. If as believers... We can sit in a room with unbelievers and have similar lifestyles and conversations. There's a problem. There's a problem. Look, the, the, the early Christian church, as John, Betty, and Rick are reading in the book of Acts, the early Christian church was so radically different from the Roman way of life, was so radically different that they locked people up for being nice. <laughs> they locked people up for having love and for not treating people poorly and for not lording themselves. They, they locked people in jail because they were so radically good 
in their communities. They were so radically merciful, so different was the teachings of Jesus and the people of Jesus that they put people in jail for healing people. Think about that. Who are we now as a church? Church? I mean, it's crazy to think that you can honestly at many a time not tell a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian without them having to say something. Does your life look any different? What happened to you? Anything? Or did you hit the ABCs like I did when I was 12? Behold, He's doing a new thing. Allow Him to do it. There's surrender involved. Absolutely. But the new thing, the good thing, the holy thing, is so much better than the old thing. Let Jesus do what He wants to do. And make you a part of the good creation that's coming. And experience God's heaven on earth when it comes. Because it's coming. Though it tarry, it's coming. Let's pray. King Jesus, circumcise my heart, Lord. I need you to do a new thing in me. I'm not worthy of your kingdom. But you are loving. You're a sharer. You're a good father. Thank you for deciding that you wanted me there. Lord, I pray that I would be baptized into your death and raised into new life. I pray for the people that are going to hear this. God, I pray that they would consider whether or not they are made new. And I pray that you would make them new by the blood of Jesus. In your name, Lord, I pray. Jesus, amen. E eu vejo de coração aberto